I'm Ed Muller, and this is Go Time. It's Go Time, a weekly podcast where we discuss interesting topics around the Go programming language, the community, and everything in between. If you currently write Go or aspire to, this is the show for you. All right, everybody. It... I'm still laughing. <laughs> I actually had to pull away from the mic on that one. All right. So uh, welcome back. It's episode 10. As always on the call, myself, Eric St. Martin, we have Brian Kettleson. Hello. And Carlisa Campos. Glad to be here. And today with us, we have a special guest, Ed Muller from Heroku, who will be talking about all things go at Heroku and some dependency management and any other uh, random topics we decide to come up with. How are you doing, Ed? Howdy. Uh, thanks for coming on. It's kind of exciting. Thanks for having me. So um, recently, I want to talk about first, you sent out a survey, which I hope everybody's taken. You sent out a survey kind of getting information about people's Go usage. Now you want to talk to us a little bit about that and kind of the, the purpose you're, you're looking for from that and hopefully we can get more people to take it? Uh, yeah. So I, um, I started asking people um, in some various Slack channels, um, hey, you know, what can you tell me about Go users in different ways? And um, Damien, and I, I, I can't pronounce Damien's uh, last name, Grisky, the, the gentleman who uh, does all the Go implementations of all the various different types of algorithms, he had, list, he had linked me to the uh, Rust uh, state, of Go, uh, state of Rust survey and said something like this might be pretty cool. And I started looking at that and um, I was like, you know what, I can't answer most of these questions for Go. Like I have my own intuitions, but... I really, I just can't answer these questions. So why don't I just do the same thing? How's the responses from that been? Have you been getting a lot of feedback from that? So far, there's over 2,000, uh, almost 2,400 responses. Um, wow. But I know there's more than 2,400 gophers in the world. I'm, I'm willing to bet that there probably are. <laughs> 2,401, I took it today. <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit, I didn't, see, I didn't complete it all the way through. I, I was really trying to analyze uh, the page where I started asking, you know, what would I change? What would I want? And I, I feel like um, I'm, I've been around too long and too used to it. So I was trying to sit back and think about that constructively. Um, and yeah, I never went back to it. So I, it, there would be 2,402, but. Go back to it. Do it again. I took it and I answered all the questions honestly. And then at the end, it said, and do you want to leave your name? And I was like, oh, man, I answered all these questions, honestly. All right. So I figure at GopherCon, I'm going to get a beat down from somebody. So you put, you put my name instead of yours is what you're saying? <laughs> no, no. I, I put my real name in. But, but I did mention that dependency management was a, a pain point that we need to resolve as a community immediately. Yeah, we do. <laughs> um, so I maintain the Go Build Pack at Heroku, and I have the wonderful honor of having to implement uh, all sorts of different detections based on whether people are using things like GB or Glide or GoVendor or GoDeps. Um, and that like also excludes things like GVT and all sorts of other stuff um, where the other build packs are just like, hey, you're in Node, use NPM. You know, you're in Ruby, use Bundler, etc. That's got to be a lot of fun. 
So what are the dependency packages that you support at uh, Iroko? The, the managers that we support are GoDep because I'm also uh, the current maintainer of that. Um, GoVendor, GB, and uh, it's not released yet, but if you use the master branch of the build pack, uh, Glide support. Uh, and I've come up, uh, I think I've come up with a way to do uh, like a manager less version, uh, but I need to spend some time and write a bunch of code and then test it <laughs> before, uh, before committing to it. Do you have stats that you can share for how many projects use one or the other? Um, the, vast, the vast majority of them use GoDep. Um, uh, there are, though, users of GoVendor um, and then GB. So just as rankings, it's like the vast majority is just GoDep and then GoVendor and GB. And part of that's just historical because that before the vendor experiment, um, I mean, if you wanted to do dependency management, you basically used GoDep. Yeah, that was kind of what I was going to lead into as well is um, the question becomes how much of that's historical, right? Because many of the other ones are new kids on the block in comparison. GoTap has been around much longer than, you know, GoVendor and GB. And Glide, is Glide the newest one? I can't remember what yeah, order. Yeah, Glide's not out. the newest one by a long shot. There's, there's probably been 30 added since Glide <laughs> came out. <laughs> yeah, I, I occasionally have conversations with authors of new ones. Um, and I'm like, great, it looks like you've solved the 80%. Now, here is the rest of the 80% problems that you're going to run into. Um, <laughs> so, you know, have fun. <laughs> Good luck with that. It's, it's hard because I feel like there's no perfect solution, right? It's like there's things I love about each of these tools and there's things that I can't stand either. And I, I think I have to end up with like the one that I dislike the least. <laughs> Does anybody have any insights as to the states of resolution on, on this uh, issue? Is, go, is, uh, is, is vendoring something to, that's going to be solved soon or is not on a plate? I haven't been following, but of, of, it's, it's important enough that I don't know. Well, we, there is a, a channel in Slack where um, myself, um, Daniel Theophane, who's the author behind GoVendor, um, some people from Glide um, kind of discuss some stuff, and it, it's free for anybody to join. So there, I haven't participated too much in it recently, but I know they are working towards some metadata standards, um, which Daniel is also was a backer of uh, Vendor.json. Uh, which really wasn't adopted, you know, beyond his tool, though. Is anybody so, from the Go language team in there? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, I think my understanding, and it hasn't changed really, is that the Go, to, the Go team was like, here's Vendor. We're going to let the ecosystem solve the hard part of the problem. Yeah, I think a good addendum to that, though, is the fact that um, the Go team is listening uh, very carefully to the issues that people are having in the real world. And uh, Andrew Durand has asked that we do a, uh, a discussion at GopherCon on the third, on the hack day. Uh, so there's going to be a room where people can come in and talk about issues with Go. And they fully expect people to be talking about dependency management at that little round table discussion. So I, I know that they acknowledge that the vendor directory isn't a full solution. I think they would like us as a community to, to come together and 
and help them make a plan or come together and offer a solution. Perhaps one with code would be even better. But um, yeah, they are listening. I think it's a valid point, though, too, because um, I mean, how much time do we want the Go team invested in working on vendor stuff and aside, and you know, instead of things that like compile times and performance and things like that, right? Uh, especially when we're we're still, I think, kind of feeling around blindly, right? Like there hasn't been consensus on this is exactly the approach. So it's it's difficult. And I think every every community has gone through this kind of whole thing with what do we do about vendoring or bundling or whatever they happen to call it in, in their particular community. So I have a strong opinion. Would you like me to share it? Sure. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, Brian. <laughs> look, Brian has a strong opinion again. So we need a better reason for you to get beat down and go for help. <laughs> <laughs> All of the new languages that have come out recently, um, and I'm talking about Nim, Rust, Crystal. Um, oh, what's that other one I really like? Uh, Pony. Pony, thank you. All of the new languages that I've looked at recently have this problem solved uh, from the gate, and Go does not. And it's very frustrating to see. Uh, these baby languages with with much smaller adoption rates than Go have this problem completely solved. Now, I'm not saying that their solutions are perfect, but they're far better than what we have, and they're built into the ecosystem already. Uh, dependency management is a big deal, and repeatable builds is a big deal. Um, I feel like we've been hung out to dry on it, and I think the the community needs to come together and not create. 30 solutions, I think the community needs to create one good solution, or Google needs to create that solution, or at least foster that solution. I was thinking the same thing along those lines. The language, the Go language team is part of the community, and it's sort of odd that the, there, there's a group of people working on a solution without any input or feedback from the language team. Uh, are they aware that this is happening? Or, uh, Well, I mean, there's been discussion with the Go team uh, surrounding vendoring, but I think that they were there. So I think that their opinion has has been their standpoint has been that it's not part of the language itself. Right. It's part of the ecosystem. Um, and I think that's why they've they've stayed mostly out of it. Um, but I think that there was obvious pain points like the Go path munging for most of these tools. And I think that's why they wanted to step in and, and try to provide support there. But I mean, I think that the Go team is probably overwhelmed with stuff and, you know, this is probably the least of their worries, which sounds bad to say. Maybe I'll get the beat down from Brian for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't disagree. I think they have a million things to do. I just think that as a community, we need to come together and solve this sooner rather than later before it, it really starts to uh, dampen the adoption that Go is getting now because I think Go has great traction and it will only get better when we can prove to the, the rest of the world that we understand repeatable builds and dependency management. Oh, agreed. I think as a community, we need to. I think we're just too used to everybody pointing the fingers towards the Go team being like, it's they need to solve it. And I think that's not the, the whole nature of the open source community either, right? It's, you know, no, and, and we all recognize that the Go team is a small group of people in Google that are, are generally working for Google's best interests, but 
graciously sharing the Go programming language with the rest of us. And, you know, I, nobody faults them, at least I hope nobody faults them for uh, taking care of Google first. That's, that's not what I'm saying by any, by any stretch. I just think it's something that as a group, the community needs to solve really soon. I think the, uh, I, I can't really put words in the Go team's mouth. Um, I think I understand some of their motivations. I also think they're not necessarily, don't s run into some of the same problems internally using Go that other companies do um, that don't have the Go team like down the hall or in the lunch cafeteria or things like that. Um, but uh, one thing I would say is if you are somebody who is frustrated by vendor, please don't make your own tool. We have enough of them. Find <laughs> another tool. Plus one. <laughs> Read that code base. Submit PRs. Fix problems. It doesn't have to be Godep. Godep is far, far, far from perfect. Um, but pick one of them and back a horse. And don't worry if you're not right in the end. I, I don't know if there is a right or wrong, but just, yeah, please don't make your own. <laughs> Ed, I don't remember if you said the name of the channel where this conversation is happening. It, it's called Vendor. Okay. In, in Makes Go sense. For Slack. Now, so you were talking about how uh, kind of the 20% is still left unsolved. What do you see as some of those issues that still need to be kind of figured out? So I think the biggest thing that a lot of the tools um, punt down the road, GoDeck included, um, is actual upgrade, like actually helping the user upgrade their depths and manage versions. A lot of them don't tackle dependencies for libraries per se. I mean, the old adage in, if there can be an old, old adage in Go is, you know, libraries should not, you know, vendor their dependencies, right? It should be up to the users of those libraries to do that. Um, but that's hard when you get to testing, compatibility and things like that. We don't have a really good culture in Go of releasing software. It's like, well, you have an API and it's on master. And I mean, that's, that's the historical context anyway. Um, so there's not a lot of people, although it is gaining traction uh, recently uh, for like Semver tags uh, for different releases. Uh, there is a stat. So that was like, that was one of the things I really wanted to ask in the survey, for instance. So when you talk about semantic versioning, you're kind of talking kind of in the spirit of, say, Bundler for Ruby, where you define your, your dependencies plus a specific version or at least, you know, a major minor release or something along those lines. So I'm of the opinion that for libraries, you absolutely need to specify some constraints on like versions, uh, especially over time um, for your application. Uh, I am less interested in specifying specific versions. Uh, and looking for the lock, uh, because that's the only way to get truly repeatable builds. Mm -hmm. um, also, I don't understand people who don't want to check in vendor. I, I just don't get, I mean, like, I get it, but the person who did ops for many years is like, but what happens when GitHub is down? Exactly. Or, or being DDoSed. Well, and some of the other stuff too is that I feel some of that stuff comes as part of the code review, right? When you get into bigger environments, there's there's no reason you shouldn't be auditing these libraries before using them, before you put them on your production systems where they have access to your data. You should know what that library does 
And you should know what changed when you pull in a new version, right? So as part of my code review, when I submit my new feature and I pulled in a new library or, you know, I upgraded it, you should be able to see as a, a, a code reviewer, you should be able to see what changed and to be able to speculate what kind of uh, problems that may cause. Yeah. So I never got that not checking in vendor thing. Yeah, totally. Uh, I've actually, it's been a topic of discussion with uh, my other Herokai this week, uh, a lot of which don't, Herokai, Heroku is a big company at this point uh, by startup standards, um, and we're part of an even bigger company. Um, so there are people who do lots of Node and Python, Ruby, and pick a language, we have it somewhere, or an enthusiast for that language at Heroku. And it's interesting because I got to talk to a bunch of Node people, and they said like they've actually heard rumblings in certain circles of Node where people are starting to decide, like, well, maybe we want to check in vendor which I was kind of like floored by. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with the Node ecosystem. So is it typical for the way they package their stuff to not check in vendor? That's my understanding. You run an NPM install. Again, my knowledge of Node itself is probably about your level as well. So in this whole, uh, what was it, left pad thing probably helped with the check in vendor thing. Uh, that's a gentleman who removed all of his... Uh, Right. Yeah. Stuff, yeah. Uh, I think that's part of what helped motivate that. Yeah. So, so everything sounds good when when everything's working, when the golden path works, like it's beautiful. Yeah, it's great. I mean, other complaints I get for not checking in vendor is like, oh, it makes your diffs messy, and I'm like, but those are your those are your dependencies. Like they're running like with your code. They they are part of your code. Like I just uh, I think it was Brian who said like I want to I want to see those too during a code review i'm going to take a look at what's in there you know i'm going to i'm going to ask you why did you upgrade that and even for failures right like something changed and you don't understand why it why you're noticing a new failure in production all you did was upgrade say one library and make one other minor change right you don't know what changed in the library to understand why now you know you're getting socket connection errors and stuff like that right you start looking for hardware problem because you're like this library has always worked like what, yeah. what's going on with the system configuration or something like that and come to find out it's one line of, line of code that changed in a library and you didn't notice like that slight change in in a semantic version like a patch version that broke something and, yep yeah well there's another uh, core issue is that um just the idea of of semantic versioning isn't defined Go and I think it was Dave Cheney uh, maybe a year ago who wanted to start off this whole process by saying you know maybe the first thing that we need to do is define what's a, a minor patch in in a Go library what's a minor uh, version bump what's a major version bump in a Go library what's what's the definition an API breaking change a bug fix and he didn't get a lot of traction he got a lot of argument um, but not a lot of traction I think. You know, we've we've got some fundamental issues to talk about before we can even get to the depth of solving the problem. Uh, most Go packages that I've seen aren't tagged with versions of any sort, much less semantic versions. Uh, we have a long way to go. So I'd like to interject a, a data point in here from the survey of 2,221 responses. Um, the question of do you tag releases using some vertags, there are 41% say yes and 58% say no. So most people aren't 
versioning their their libraries or the vast majority aren't um but, but let me see if i understand right now do we do anything can, is there anything that we can do with those versionings oh because if it's no i see the point of people not using it and i, and I would think that more people would do it if there was a function for it well it is a little bit of a chicken and the egg because if the tools don't have the tags to use then you're not necessarily going to spend time working on those feature sets um, and vice versa. If you don't have tools that use some of them, like why should I, I theoretically, why should I bother? Which is another thing I'd like to point out about Semver. Semver, and this is something that I struggled with at first uh, until I really realized that Semver is a social contract. It's mm -hmm. not a technology contract, re realistically. Um, despite your best intention, a dot, you know, 1.2.1 to 1.2.2 can totally, you can accidentally slip an API change in there, you know, or, or make a horrible breaking change. Um, so there's nothing in Semver that like, prevents you from doing that. But you've, you've basically agreed through this contract to say, like, I'm not going to intentionally make any API breaking or functionality breaking changes between these minor revs. It's similar to the, the Go promise, right? The Go one promise. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's social, right? Like they, they've agreed not to change the API. Well, it's, I, so, it's social with teeth, though. There's a, a script that runs in all.bash that, that guarantees that there aren't any breaking changes to that Go one contract. So it, it, nothing's going to get committed to master or tip without um, passing that test. And I think. I can't remember which of the new languages I saw recently, but there was one of them. I couldn't tell you which because I like looking at languages uh, that that very specifically had a tool that tested uh, API contracts in your packages before it allowed you to commit to tell you whether you had uh, breaking changes in APIs to to help you guide you towards uh, better versioning. And that's something that we can absolutely support with all of the fantastic introspection tools we have in Go. Yeah, that's my pie-in-the-sky perfect tool. Um, we'll use introspect, would use introspection to determine whether uh, something is at least API compatible or not with the version you have. Uh, and then when it detects a change, can say like, here's a change, here's my last known tagged version that matches um, what you're using right now, you know, do you want to continue upgrading or not here? Make a choice, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing, no tool does that though yet. Um, but hopefully one day we've got Scott and, uh, the go time FM channel here getting all inception on us. He said, uh, your dependency management tool is another dependency. <laughs> so, so what do we use to manage that dependency? <laughs> Who guards the custodians? What's the Latin key custodian? Custodian? Who watches the watchers? Right. So uh, another question we had in Slack, though, too, was, uh, where is it? Where'd it go? Why did these other languages get vendoring out of the gate right? And how? I don't know whether any of us have answers to that, right? I think that it's similar to kind of go started out of the gate with uh, concurrency in mind, right? It's just the kind of nature where you approach, approach the problem from a given perspective, right? 
Well, I think uh, especially the smaller languages and the more recent ones uh, all feel the pain that we as an industry have been kind of growing into over the last couple of years and, and wisely knew out of the gate if they didn't have a solution to this, there would be an issue. And maybe some of them have even learned from Go specifically. I think Go didn't have one at the beginning because Google uses a monorepo. They don't need one. And this was a tool for Google. Yeah, if you can make a Go path, I mean, if you're going to check in an entire Go workspace, then you just check out your stuff and commit them. Mm -hmm. you, you don't need it. What's there is there and what's used is used. And it's tracked. All right. So uh, I think we're, I think about halfway through the episode. I'm sure we probably don't want to talk dependency management, the whole thing. We probably could theoretically, but do we want to? <laughs> I don't know. My blood, my blood pressure is going up. I, I do is, want to hear good. about Go at Heroku though, if you don't mind chatting with us about that for a few, um, both in, in support for Go and Heroku's own internal usage of Go. So support of Go. Um, Go has been Go has been unofficially supported for a very long time. Um, Keith Rarick, uh, a former engineer, uh, wrote the build pack, wrote GoDep initially, um, at least partially, so that he could run his Go code on Heroku, and that is that build pack eventually became what we have now. Um, so uh, last year, uh, I was given an opportunity inside to to uh, help make Go a formally supported language. Um, and what that means is if you file a support ticket and you have a Go application, I, uh, myself and others can help you um, with that application other than going, that's not a supported language. You know, have you read the docs? You know, is it something with the platform? Like support can then help help you. But if it's, uh, if it's a supported language, we can go a bit deeper and actually take a look you know, at your application and make better recommendations about what's either wrong or right or things like that. So along with that comes um, documentation in DevCenter, uh, paying for my salary, things like that. Um, so that's been, that's been really cool. Um, internally, there are many So how many people now, do you um, have a lot of Go customers? It's prob. It's actually the smallest percentage language of overall like revenue or or even active users, but it is growing um, faster than most, except for Node. That's interesting. Do you think that's that's based on Heroku's position in the market? It it seems like Heroku's biggest customer facing feature is writing websites or delivering websites, as opposed to um, deeper service type things and websites really aren't the biggest strength of go do you know no, no they're it? not um the so most well not most uh, yeah no most of our go customers are writing api services that's the code they deploy they don't write a website or a, 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 the go version of a rails app or anything like that they they also are commonly doing it in conjunction with other heroku apps that are written in Ruby or something else, and they needed to get performance in some portion of the app. So uh, a worker, uh, an API backend, um, things like that. High concurrency, okay. low latency. 
So this is a more um, customers who are kind of moving more polyglot where they're they're kind of aug- augmenting their like Rails apps with more Go apps more than it is customers deploying sole Go apps. As a general rule, yes, but not exclusively. So that's interesting. Sorry, I cut you off when you were going off onto the uh, the internal usage of. I was just kind of curious about the growth of Go customers there. It, it's been it it's. It's been good. It's been steady. Um, I my job is partially to uh, help continue that growth, um, not only just in Heroku, but also just well, making sure that Heroku is a good place to run Go apps. Um, so, if anybody is listening to this and you would like to use Heroku for deploying a Go app, but you don't for some reason, please let me know because I want you to. I mean. I think Heroku is a great place to run applications. That's why I work here. I'm happy to give Heroku a, a glowing recommendation. We run a uh, a big web app plus API at Heroku at my day job, and it, it is just fantastic support, great service. Everything works wonderfully, and it's so nice to be able to use that Heroku CLI to, tool to get logs immediately and roll back. Uh, deploys are just a dream. So. Go use Heroku. There's no reason not to. And That's a great idea. Go. Yeah, I'm I'm here for you, man. Cool. Um, inside of Heroku, uh, so large portions of the platform have actually been somewhat rewritten in Go. So, for instance, if you get push Heroku master, the get server behind that uh, is written in Go. Um, the thing that actually executes your slug building. Um, so that's what you see when you see like, you know, go detect language detected go and then the compilation process. Um, that's been re- recently rewritten as a go process. Um, all logs from dinos are moved to the log router, which is still written in Erlang. Um, but that process uh, that actually handles the batching and delivery, that's go. Um, portions of our new um, private spaces offering, uh, which is basically Heroku in your own VPC, not your VPC that you bring to us, but a VPC that we part, that we create for you on Amazon. Um, a large portions of that are written in Go. Um, we have some API work being done in Go. Um, all system metrics are extracted off of instances using a, um, a Go tool. Uh, I've been instrumental in some of those and uh, not so much in others. Um, the, if you are a fan of our dashboard metrics, um, that's Go. Uh, the back ends for that is all Go. The front end is obviously you know, Node and, and, and you know, front end technologies. Um, so, do you have more? Continue, please. I don't want to interrupt. No, I was trying to think of what else. I, I feel like I'm missing um, that, some all. parts, that's, but that's, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> and now, what I wanted to ask is: Are these rewrites, or like majority rewrites, or majority new things? It's a mix. I'd probably say sixty forty um, rewrites. Because, for instance, get push Heroku master. That was a combination, I think, of some twisted evented code at some point. Uh, if you're not familiar with twisted, it's a Python thing, um, plus some other stuff. Uh, the slug builder portion was Ruby. Um, 
all of API was just just Ruby at one point. Um, system metrics, I think we used um, Collecti at one point. Um, and the log processes, that's new. Uh, the metric stuff, that's new. Um, some of the stuff they're doing in API is not necessarily rewrite, but new functionality that they're kind of slotting in uh, unbeknownst to users. Uh, so it, it's a little bit of both. I have a sense that the whole internet is being rewritten in gold. Uh, if it were up to me, uh, plus one. But, <laughs> um, as I said, though, uh, Heroku is a place, uh, and we call ourselves Heroku. so if I I said that already. You understand what I'm talking about. Um, you'll find somebody at Heroku who likes any language that's probably out there right now. Um, Challenge accepted. As a, a champion for it. Uh, we have contributors to Crystal, you know, I mean, who work here. <laughs> Crystal looks pretty awesome, by the way. We need to have a, an episode just on all these new languages because I love them. Yeah, there's some interesting things about a lot of these. Um, Crystal, I've probably looked at more than anything, but that's mainly because I was a Ruby person for a number of years. But yeah, some of these other languages are looking pretty good too. You know, while we're talking about Go at Heroku, we can't forget Doozer. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so that was actually never used in production at Heroku. <laughs> it was used in production elsewhere. Right. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Yep. Yes, it was. We why, are you, why are you talking about? Doozer. Doozer was um, the spiritual predecessor to etcd, for example, or Zookeeper. Or it, it was a Go implementation of a, um, a distributed coordination system. Yeah, and with, the, with an implementation of Paxos, uh, distributed consensus protocol. Um, that was one of the first uh, distributed consensus systems Brian and I started using in the Go space. This is before etcd and console and all that good stuff. I, I believe it's before Go One was even out. Yeah, it was. It was pretty early on, and I, I learned some of my uh, Go idioms and anti patterns from that code base too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what's uh, What's one anti pattern that you learned from that code base? Uh, I believe that was one of the ones that uh, it was using channels for state. Yeah, and, and Doozer specifically, I, if I remember, had one great big giant select in the kind of the main processing loop, and that was definitely a big anti-pattern too. I could be wrong, but that seems like one of the earlier projects that I played with um, and started digging around looking for patterns. I could be wrong about that one, but I, I think that that's the one that I've, I'm thinking of, Brian, it's like the big select. Mm -hmm. but. It could, it could be a completely different code base, too. Like, it, this is years ago now. So is Doozer still around? Doozer's still around. I'm a maintainer still. Is anybody using it, though? <laughs> I don't know about that. I, Wasn't I Adobe so. using it at some point for something? There was a couple people that were using it back then. I can't think of who they were now, but yeah. I, I think Bitly even used it for a while. But I don't know if they still are. Good question. I still can't believe that somebody took it. Who, who did the Paxos implementation? Because I don't know whether I have the courage to do something like that. It was Blake and Keith, I think. Yeah, I think it was Blake Miserini and Keith Rarick. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I have the courage to try and implement Paxos. 
It's awesome. I, I learned so much from that code base. That was definitely the biggest project I had ever seen in Go at the time. And and even though Keith and Blake today still say that you know there are things that they would do differently, there are things that might not be idiomatic. Uh, the vast majority of it was really great Go code, and I learned a ton. I'm, I'm very grateful that it existed. Well, and let's be fair too. I mean, we're talking that was 2011, 2012. Yep. Right. So, like a lot of people use channels for a lot of things. I think we were all still figuring it out as a community what the patterns were. That's so true. It's, how, how can you declare idiomatic if if it's only been around for a little bit? Right. So it, it's like it's we we can call things idi- idiomatic or anti patterns now, but you know when we're referring in the past when they weren't necessarily then. So, but yeah, that was probably one of the most the biggest and most complex projects that I had seen back then. So. And it was inspiring. We, we used it for a lot of stuff. We did. And had a lot of fun with it, too. Yeah. So we, we, we've covered the survey. We've covered... Oh, there was one question I had for you. I heard a rumor that the CLI, the Heroku CLI tool, isn't all Go anymore, that there's some hybrid, maybe Node in there. Is that correct? So the Heroku CLI is really 98% Node. Uh, let, me, let me rephrase that. The target is for it to be about 98% Node. Right now, the, the CLI is an amalgam of Go, Node, and uh, legacy Ruby. Um, the Ruby bits are effectively being phased out for uh, what is basically a Go bootstrapper that can easily be upgraded um, that manages uh, the Node parts. And I apologize to the primary maintainer of that if I've gotten any of that wrong, but that's my understanding of it. Interesting. Uh, there is something called HK um, that we had done. It's probably still on our repo. It's not maintained anymore, but that is a implementation of the CLI um, that is purely in Go. Um, while I myself personally would have loved if either HK or a rewrite of the CLI um, were done in Go, uh, or I mean purely Go, um, I think... Yeah, I still think it was a good decision, probably from the popularity aspect um, and accessibility aspect uh, to do the node stuff. Well, realistically, if it's solving the business problem, there's no point in changing it just for the sake of changing it. Well, so node is runs much better cross platform than Ruby does. Uh, and hence the deprecation uh, of the leg- of the legacy Ruby portions of the CLI. And the necessity to rewrite those portions in something, and Node was chosen. Fair enough. So Damien's actually in the GoTimeFM channel, and he pointed out Active State was using Doozer. Uh, we can count on Damien. He's like a walking Wikipedia. He is. Shout, shout out, Damien. Every time we have a question, Damien has the answer. And when he's sleeping, there's no answers in, in the Go world. Sometimes I feel that way, too. <laughs> and, and Reddit. I'm... They get all his news from Damien. <laughs> it's yeah. He's probably the, the biggest contributor on the, the Golang Reddit. It, it wasn't me that submitted this uh, state of Go survey uh, to Reddit. I'm pretty sure it was Damien. It, it happens. It's the same thing with all the GopherCon announcements. We whisper it somewhere in the universe, and Damien's <laughs> like, I got this. I got this. That's pretty awesome. Uh, all right. So do we want to talk uh, kind of... Uh, News and any interesting projects any of us have come across? I've got a huge one. 
I just found this. Yes, I think they just released it yesterday. The Source Graph Editor. Has anybody seen that? That looked cool. Oh my gosh. Now, I'm not recommending it for full real-time, all-the-time use, but uh, let me explain what it is and I'll tell you why it's awesome first. It's a plugin for, I want to say... Adam or Vim or it, it, one of the Sub- other editors plus Sublime. You're right. Thank you. So a plugin for Sublime and Vim that allows you to, um, well, it opens a browser window and then navigates to the definition of the, the, the symbol that you're typing as you're typing it. So if, if you start to type fmt.prin, it, it pops up fump.printline and gives you the definition of it plus uh, five or six um, curated examples of it from open source projects so it gives you this really awesome real-time second screen information about the code that you're writing with examples uh, plus the the regular godoc for it and it's it's real time it's just the tiniest bit slow so as you're typing um it, it's slow it, at least in vim it slows down vim a little bit and it gets a little distracting because that browser window is constantly flashing with uh, different functions as as you're changing positions to uh, look at new symbols but it's amazing that the technology behind it must be impressive and I, I was blown away when i play with it. i haven't turned it off yet i've been running it for a day and i can honestly say that's a really useful tool so two things with that though right one is vim probably because vim's not so great at async yet so it's probably having to do stuff synced with your typing which is hard but the second part is it's it's rave programming (laughs) rave programming brian just embrace it (laughs) flashing screen and i want to say we're going to have oh great i can't pronounce his name be yang i think on the show in one two three weeks from now oh that's awesome so we'll have a lot to talk about there because it's it's a really impressive tool so that was, um, that was the biggest news I saw this week, um, that tool. If you haven't checked it out, it's at sourcegraph.com slash tools slash editor. Uh, you can see the screencast uh, that they've got embedded in that page. Uh, if that doesn't sell you on at least trying it, um, I'd be surprised. Yeah, and they, they, um, I believe everything there is written in Go. At the very least, almost all of it is written in Go, all of their products. Yeah. So and they have um, an open source library, too or doing um, like language detection and, and uh, analysis on code in a generic way too. That's well, really their whole, cool. Their whole team is, is very prolific in uh, open source too. So it's, it's, it's a, a, a company founded in GoRoots that, that lives and thrives in the community. So shout out to our friends at Sourcegraph. You guys rock. And they blogged for us. Remember the live blog yeah. one? That's right. And they host a meetup in San Francisco. I don't know how often it is, but I went to one. It was pretty great. There were people from LinkedIn there speaking and other people on the panel. It was pretty awesome. I'm getting, I'm seeing like the, the trail in GoTime FM. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are distracting I, me. <laughs> no, that was pretty amazing. I said his name and he, he popped into the channel. I think Adam was, invited him in there. Uh, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. So two things. Um, first, there was like this uh, project somebody showed um, that's a, uh, an IM GUI, like immediate mode uh, user interface. 
So it's basically like OpenGL with Windows inside of it. And uh, it's called Ooey Gooey. <laughs> I love the name of it too. But it's like the alpha of the alpha right now. But I thought it looked cool, especially from kind of like the um, thinking kind of like the embedded space, having GUI on embedded devices. So I'm going to keep watching that to see how that comes along. And then that spawned like kind of this discussion about cross-platform GUI type approaches in Go. And there was a bunch of stuff. And I kind of mentioned um, Ceph, which is the Chrome embedded framework. And somebody said no to please encourage people to contribute to this project called Gob, which is like uh, they're attempting to write a full web browser in Go, which is really cool. So I don't have the time to contribute. So everybody else contribute so that we can have a full web browser written in Go. Interesting. What are they using for the user interface components? How are I'm they? not sure. I didn't dig into it too much. Oh, Shiny. They're using uh, the experimental Shiny repo. That's right. That's right. I did see that. I lied. 3 a.m., 2 a.m., whatever time it was. That's right. <laughs> As the days get closer to GopherCon, the sleep wanes and we become less and less coherent. All right, my turn. Your turn. Uh, my, my project today is Gogs. It's a self-hosted Git service. I think it's pretty cool because if you want to host your own Git service, of course, that's what it is for. It seems pretty solid. I love that it has a ton of documentation. I always love to, to uh, mention projects that are well-documented. Um, and it also has uh, the issue list is very well labeled. So there is a variety of categories. And it seems that you can use a lot of help. Um, but I also thought it was interesting because I think it's a good code base to, to dive in and learn from the concept of a ser server or a service. I think uh, it's very, I mean, it's, we were talking about domain knowledge, right? I think it's something that we can come in with a little bit of, of domain knowledge and uh, understand the pieces and bits and pieces. Yeah, Gogs kind of popped up, uh, what, maybe two years ago? Something yeah, like year, that. And year it, and a half, it, two years ago, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it had a few features and it was really interesting. And it was like overnight, it, was, it, it started replicating almost all the features from Git or GitHub rather. Yeah, so we had Gogs in production for our, our main code repository. Um, what was that, two years ago, Eric? And it had zero complaints. It's a fantastic service, really simple to install and rock solid. No complaints at all, especially if, uh, you consider that um, it, it's a tiny code base, but they replicate, you know, the eighty percent of features from GitHub that you really need, but it's behind your own firewall. Very nice. Yeah, and, and Git Git the uh, Git service like GitHub or GitLab is something that we use every day. So it'll be interesting to look at how that can be implemented in Go. Uh, I found it interesting to dig around. I think we lost Ed. You still there? Uh, yes, I am. Sorry, I uh, threw it on mute for a second. I was trying to find something. Oh, no worries at all. We so thought we, you were as tight as we were. <laughs> we had we had somebody in the GoTime FM channel in Slack, and I'm going to butcher his name. I feel terrible, but it's Florin Patan Payton. I'm not sure. Uh, he mentioned the Go Get button uh, Chrome extension, and actually installed that uh, two weeks ago, maybe when he announced it originally. So that's another good one to shout out. We'll have to add that to our show notes. Uh, when you're on a GitHub repository, 
uh, you can just push the little gopher icon and it copies the go get URL into your uh, uh, buffer and you can just hit, 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 hit paste in grand pump and, and you'll have that go get uh, command ready for you to do a go get. So it's, it's a tiny little tool that's really handy. I, I use it constantly now since I've installed it. So big shout. Uh, I'd like to shout out, uh, if I may, to um, <clears throat> Heroku's open source Go project, um, some of which I've contributed to. Um, so if you take a look at our Go rep- open source Go repositories on GitHub, you'll see a bunch of stuff. And a lot of engineers who work there are also contributors to various things and Go itself. Yeah, Heroku's had a lot of involvement in the Go open source community for a number of years. So. It's one of the reasons why we're so happy to have you on the show. It is. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I just try to get um, Keith and those guys at some point, too. I mean, I, I'm honored to be on the show, but uh, and they have a big impact early on. In, in talking about involvement from Iroko, I wanted to also mention that Iroko is a big supporter of GoBridge financially and otherwise, and Ed is as well. You have taught... Uh, GoBridge workshop in San Francisco. We're very grateful for that. So thank you. Thanks for organizing GoBridge. It's it's. I think it's a amazing um, organization, and I was more than happy to contribute my time. Thanks. That's a big GoTime FM hug right there. Yes, totally. Maybe we need to add a section at the end of the show after Free Software Friday. We had GoTime FM hugs. I don't know. Let's toss that around a little. Put it in the show notes. We'll think about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and speaking of free software Friday, and I think we're we're about out of time too. So I think we're we're tracking good. Um, at the end of every show, we tend to try to do like a free software Friday where we give shout outs. I guess to more projects because we've just been giving out shout outs <laughs> um, to kind of projects that we've been using or you know currently or in the past that have made our lives easy. So who wants to who wants to go first? I'll start. I, I found a tool, I want to say just a couple of days ago, three or four days ago, from Dmitry Shurlyov. Also known as Shurkul. Yeah, known as Shurkul with That's the, the hard part, L. right? You know everybody by their handle. Right. Like Lauren, like I, I know him as DL Sniper. Like I <laughs> Anyway, continue. Yeah, it's okay. This uh this tool is called git dash branches, and it's just a tiny little command line tool that tells you uh, the status of the branches of your Git repo, how far you are behind or ahead of master and all of the different uh, statuses of the remote branches too. Uh, really nifty tool. I've, I've used it constantly since I've installed it. So uh, it's rare for me that those tiny little command line helpers stay in muscle memory beyond a day. And this one has, it's, it's useful. All right. So the project I want to mention today is Pachyderm. It was uh, mentioned on the show that we're going to release later today with Daniel Whitenack. He talked about Go and data science. And this project is open source. I haven't used it, but I checked it out. And again, it's another project that's super well documented. It has also very organized and very well labeled issues. And they also have issues for newbies. So it seems like a great project for people who wants to start contributing to open source and to go. And it's very fascinating. And this is something that fasc- is fascinating me about Go and what's going on in the industry right now. It's, uh, b- so basically, it seems that it's a 
a modern alternative to Hadoop. And just how people are reinventing solutions. So it's an alternative to Hadoop, but it's not an implementation of Hadoop in Go. They are using containers, they are, they are using Go, and they're taking advantage of these contemporary technologies to reinvent these solutions in a much better way. Uh, again, I haven't used it. This is from reading and from just general knowledge, but I think it's very, very interesting. I am going to totally have to play with this. Yeah, I did play with it, but long ago when it was much earlier. And, and it's a really nifty tool because it allows you to uh, pipe the outputs of your container. So each of the steps in your data pipeline is just a container that uh, accepts input and sends output. So uh, you get that Hadoop-like flow, but with uh, containers with Docker. It's, it's slick. It really is nice. Yeah, it's been quite some time since I think I've played with it, too. So it's probably about time for a refresh. It sounds like they've basically, if, if that's the way it works, they basically implemented something I've been noodling around in my head using in standard in and standard out type stuff uh, to, you know, between processes and then just take care of the, uh, the mechanism for moving that data around and orchestrating it. So they just saved you a whole lot of development time. Thank God. <laughs> Uh, did you have somebody you wanted to uh, to give a shout out to as well? Yeah, I want to actually give a shout out to, and I can't believe I'm going to do this. Um, <laughs> the '90s me is going to kick my ass. Um, <laughs> but Visual Studio Code, which is something from Microsoft, um, I really never thought that a GUI editor would get me out of using Vim, but it has, um, and I really like its Go support as well. So shout out to both Microsoft and uh, Luke, uh, probably get a massacre his last name, but Coban, I believe, uh, who writes the Go plugin, who does work at Microsoft as well. But uh, that's my primary editor for code now anyway. Yeah, we've, we've talked about Visual Studio Code a couple times. It is a really strong environment for uh, Go development. And the, the Go plugin is, is tight, including... Uh, debugging with Delve on all three major platforms built in. Yeah, so yeah. that's one of the things that makes me want to play with it a lot is the, the Delve support and everything. But it, it, like you said, I think it's a strong contender. I think there's a lot of people using Visual Studio in the Go world. Well, it also does some stuff like uh, that the SourceGraph editor does, right? As I'm typing print whatever, it's showing me the signature, right? And I can even like go to the definite because that's all in the standard library. I can actually like jump to where that's defined and look at the source code right there. Have you used Vimgo with Vim? When I did, when I used Vim, so probably, I don't know, eight months ago was the last time I used Vimgo, which I, I understand you can do some of the similar things. Yeah, it's got a lot of that stuff now where you can jump to the definition and all that jazz. Not yeah, to Visual talk Studio, you back into Vim. But. Visual Studio Code is significantly prettier though. Tool tips with function definitions when you hover over a, a oh, yeah. function call. It's, it's, I'm not going to lie, it's sexy. Yep. And, and uh, there's that Go tool, Go doc tool there with, I talked about. I forgot, forgot I think, uh, second episode. I forgot which episode. That does the same thing. Mm -hmm. It, uh, it would jump to the, to the code uh, source. Are you talking Pythia? No, it's called Go doc. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about now, too. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, you did mention it in a prior episode. Yeah. 
Now we're going to have to go through show notes to find what it is. <laughs> the name was something like Godoc Tool, though. It was not a memorable name. It was kind of a generic name. So I think yeah. you're right. It was something like Godoc Tool. Yes. Uh, you know, I wanted to say we have such a deeply rooted perceptions, right? When the ads put the, the link to Visual Studio codes on the document, I had to actually go and check if it was open source because I was going to say, Ed, this is not open source. I <laughs> didn't know. And I couldn't. So today I learned it's open source and I couldn't believe it. Yes. If you, if you write in TypeScript, you can contribute. Well, there's, there's another show that we could probably do entirely on Microsoft turning the ship around. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Microsoft today is not the same, you know, 90s Microsoft. Because so. they're crushing it. If you're listening, Microsoft, you're turning the ship around and we appreciate it. So for me, uh, I'm going to cheat because we were, we've been talking data science and all that jazz and uh, not currently use it. Well, I, I am kind of currently using it, but um, Apache Kafka which is a, a distributed message queue and publish subscribe system, which I'm sure many of us are already familiar with, but uh, that's saved our lives more than once. I'm sure Brian can agree. Kafka's awesome. Especially when you have to do like multiple data, uh, databases, using it as kind of like your distributed commit log and then having your other databases populate from there. So much win. And I think that's it. Anybody? All right. I think that we're, we're, we're right about on time to close this thing out. Um, I want to thank everybody for coming on the show. And I especially want to thank Ed for coming on the show and Heroku for all that they do uh, for the Go world. Uh, I know you, you guys um, support the GoBridge efforts. I know you guys are sponsoring GoForCon. Uh, you've been contributing to the open source space for Go for a very long time. So we want to thank you for that. We want to thank all the listeners, uh, both live and who will be listening to this shortly. Um, next week, we are out. Um, both Carlicia and Brian have to travel for some reason, like they have lives or something. <laughs> no, this is a big deal. We're going to be at the Women Who Go first birthday party in San Francisco. Oh, that's right. That's right. All right. I can't give you too much slack for that then. And I want to mention that it's open to everybody. So if you are in San Francisco... Sign up on, uh, on the Meetup page. I'll post the link on, on the Slack. And maybe Adam can retweet it. Tweet it. Uh, it's open to everybody, men and women and anybody. Non-binary people, everybody. Just show up. Some really cool people are going to be there. I'm just saying. I'm excited to go. Women Who Go is a great group. And I'm happy to go help them celebrate their first birthday. Maybe I can get a cheap flight down. Please go. So, um, so we're out next week, but the following week we'll, we will be back and we will have Jesse Frizzell on the call or show. I keep calling it a call. It's a show. Um, so we'll have her on the show when we get back. And then uh, after that, we have, I think, Yang, right? Yes. So almost in line with uh, us talking about the new uh, source graph tool today. Um, yeah, so uh, if you haven't subscribed already, GoTime FM is the easiest way to do that. We are now on both the Google Play Store and iTunes, I believe. Um, more episodes will be dropping if you're listening to this live right now. Um, we will have, I think, episode four drops today and then five and six like over the next couple of days, but we're, we're slowly getting caught up. Um, we are on Twitter at GoTime FM. We are 
GoTime FM in Slack if you want to be on for the live stuff. And I think that's it. Uh, yeah, GitHub, github.com slash GoTimeFM slash ping for suggestions for speakers or comments about the show and all that stuff. Again, uh, thanks again, Ed, for coming on the show. Uh, it's been It's been great having you on the call. Thanks for having me. It's been great being here. All right, everybody. All right. Thanks, Ed. Great show. This was fun. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>